Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. Welcome back to the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through a song of ice and fire, chapter by chapter. I am your host, MJ, from the YouTube channel Gray Area. And every week, I am joined by a co host who is a song of ice and fire fan to dissect these books that we all love and enjoy over and over and over again. And today, I am joined by Gray Waste Tim. Gray Waste Tim, would you like to let the people know? I'm just, I'm not going to call you Gray Waste Tim. I'm just going to call you Tim. Is that okay? Of course, of course. Okay. Okay. Would you like to let the people know who you are and where they can find you? I know you've done um, a couple of, haven't you done some streams and stuff? Uh, one so far. Um, I was actually going to promote that. Yeah, I done uh, about a month back. I was on with uh, Lucifer Means Lightbringer. Uh, we did uh, the Secrets of the Winterfell Crips about almost about three hours just talking uh, Mance Raider, Winterfell Crips, what we think is down there, and what's uh, what's waiting for John down down in the down there. Yeah, I caught a part of that, and that was really good. Um, and you also do essays, right? Yes, I have two essays up on Reddit, and I'm working on more. Uh, I have my theory uh, called uh, How to Serve Dragon Eggs, uh, theory on why dragon eggs stop hatching. And then my other essay is uh, Fagon, a parallel of kings, princes, and pretenders. Uh, we take a look at taking a look at Fagon and his comparisons to, because he, uh, Fagon has a lot of similarities with a lot of Targaryen kings, like nearly almost all of them. Then there's mm -hmm. all of his parallels with the Blackfires and Game and Pale Hair, the Cunning King, things like that. So that just kind of looks like, well, it's a good essay, like just looking at all of the connections that Fagon shares and how those might crop up in the story later. Awesome. And you also are a moderator for Direwolf yep, City. I'm a, yep, I'm a mod for Direwolf City. I'm a mod for uh, Lucifer Means Lightbringer. And awesome. yeah, and- I I I, uh, I, I, I kind of dove headfirst into the community and things, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm happy that you know people like the things that I've that I've been putting out there, and that uh, kind of getting some recognition for it. And I'm very happy to be on. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you joined me. Um, if you send me your links, I will link them in the description, the episode description, so people can just have easy access to them. They can just click the link, and you can check out all of Tim's stuff. Um, also, if you would like to be on an episode of Obsidian Nights, um, all you have to do is send your contact info to the Obsidian Nights podcast at gmail.com, or you can contact at Nims Shadow on Twitter and she can do all of that for you. And one more thing I got to ask you guys, please rate and review this podcast. It's free. All you have to do is just rate and review it. Even if you don't like it, you can say that it's fine. <laughs> all right. So. A Clash of Kings, Tyrion 1. Um, we are in King's Landing. We have just left off on the Sansa, the first Sansa chapter of A Clash of Kings. 
and Sansa uh, saw Tyrion's arrival to King's Landing. We know that Tyrion has been sent by Tywin. And um, the chapter opens up. It says, in the chilly white raiment of the Kingsguard, Sir Mandon Moore looked like a corpse in a shroud. Her grace left orders. The council incest the count. Her grace left orders. The council in session is not to be disturbed. I would be only a small disturbance, sir. Tyrion slid the parchment from his sleeve. I bear a letter from my father, Lord Tywin Lannister, the hand of the king. There is his seal. Her grace does not wish to be disturbed, Sir Mandon repeated slowly, as if Tyrion were a, were a dullard who had not heard him the first time. Jamie had once told him that Moore was the most dangerous of the King's Guard, excepting himself, always, because his face gave no hint as what he might do next. Tyrion would have welcomed a hint. Bronn and Timot could likely kill the knight if it came to swords, but it would scarcely bode well if he began by slaying one of Joffrey's protectors. Yet, if he let the man turn him away, where was his authority? He made himself smile. Sir Mandon, you have not met my companions. This is Timot, son of Timot, a red hand of the burned men. And this is Bronn. Perchance, perchance you recall Sir Vardis Egan, who was captain of the Lord Eris's household guard. I know the man. Sir Mandon's eyes were pale gray, oddly flat and lifeless. New, Bronn corrected with a thin smile. Sir Mandon did not deign to show that he had heard that. Be that as it may, Tyrion said lightly. I truly must see my sister and present my letter, sir, if you would be so kind as to open the door for us. The white knight did not respond. Tyrion was almost at the point of trying to force his way past when Sir Mandon abruptly stood aside. You may enter, they may not. A small victory, he thought, but sweet. So we have a Tyrion who has been granted a lot of power from Tywin Lannister like unprecedented for Tyrion, not even just this power, but to be coming from his father to have the upper hand on his sister, because he's coming into King's Landing to say, look, I am now acting as hand per our father and there's nothing you can do about it. And Tyrion also has, you know, the gall or, or the brain to know that he needs to like pass this first test. Like this is his first test and he treats every interaction like that. And we see him kind of analyze each situation in his POVs. And that's why he's such a good hand of the King. Any thoughts? Uh, yes. Uh, so I love the way that like Tyrion uh, has, has these, mo has these moments where uh, it kind of just shows that, Tywin, uh, despite being miles away, he still looms large. Like, mm -hmm. and the fact that he shows up with just this letter, and but still, Mandon Moore. And I like how he's he asked him, like, "Do you remember uh, Sir Vardis Egan?" It kind of reminds us that first, it reminds us that uh, Mandon Moore is from the Vale originally. He is a Valeman, so it makes sense that he would know the captain of the household guard there. Mm -hmm. And Mandon Moore. And as we'll see later on in the chapter, Jano Slint, uh, they both got their positions because of John Aaron. And one of the things that this chapter does kind of show is uh, that John Aaron, despite being, uh, despite being a capable hand of the king, he still had his faults. And I think sometimes we think of John when we think John Aaron and uh, in the same class as a lot of these characters who are already dead when mm -hmm. the story begins. 
we kind of forget, like we see some of them through rose colored glasses because of their relationships with people like Ned and because Ned's such an upstanding man. But then we see that like John Aaron did have his faults because despite everything he did, he still let Robert beggar the realm and he yeah. still let people like Mandon Moore in. He brought Mandon Moore to King's Landing and now he's on the King's Guard. And he's the one who elevated Jano Slint to the to head of the gold cloaks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see that a lot with Rhaegar, like with the, the, what you're explaining, the seeing these dead characters through rose colored glasses. I see that so much with Rhaegar Targaryen, like people just like, oh, Prince Rhaegar he this like he was this and he was that no like he cheated on his wife and kids mm-hmm. and yep. dipped like left them to die left them in the care of his crazy daddy like we we can't forget that like we can't just look at all the positives of people and like and and and, and like think because if we do that then we're looking at this story like like we're Sansa because that's how Sansa in the beginning she was like oh John Quill and uh, Florian the Fool, like she only looked at the good parts of the story. And I'm sure like some of those fairy tales that she listens to are actually pretty dark. Mm-hmm. They're actually pretty dark because most fairy tales like in our world are dark. Like The Little Mermaid is oh, actually yeah. a very dark story. Yeah, every, every Disney movie, you take it back to the original Grimm's fairy tales, the original Germanic versions, they're dark. They're dark yeah. as all hell. Yeah they're like scary movie stuff <laughs> and uh another thing i want to point out with mandon moore is that so he's king's guard for joffrey and before that and we assume that he was probably on the king's guard for robert mm-hmm. and the only other uh there's only a few other moors that are mentioned and i just want to point out that one of his ancestors was a sir maladin moore who was mm-hmm. a king's guard of magor the cruel so it just Ooh. seems like house moore kind of had this tradition of serving shitty kings yeah that's we i didn't know that i didn't know that you're like a historian uh, you're, you're a song of ice of fire historian i did not know like mandon moore's ancestor was king's guard to magor oh yeah like when i read the because ch- i i read, read the chapter last night uh because I got the message from them at like 8.30 last night to be on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, yes, please. What chapter, what time? So I reread the chapter last night, typed up some notes, reread it again this morning, add it to my notes. And uh, there are a couple of things I picked up on. There's a lot. There is actually a lot of foreshadowing in this chapter, like especially later on when uh, when we're, we're jumping ahead. But when Tyrion uh, has his talks with Littlefinger and Littlefinger saying, like, are you sure you want to be in there? in the tower of the hand like don't you know what ha- happened to the last two and then Tyrion's like four and he gives uh Littlefinger that whole history lesson about uh Eris the bad king's uh hands hands of the king and so I went back and looked at who were all of the mad king's hands after Tywin uh resigned and mm-hmm. we see like uh there is foreshadowing to John Connington right there oh shucks well, we well we will get there. We will get there. Um, I don't I don't want you to spoil it yet. <laughs> don't spoil it yet. We'll definitely get there. Um, so Cersei is basically like when she sees Tyrion, she's like you, like you little shit, and he's kind of like because he was just greeted bad by Joffrey, and mm-hmm. he's kind of like oh I can see where Joffrey learned his courtesies. Um, 
And she, he's like, basically says that he's delivering a letter from Tywin. Um, and Barris takes the letter and, um, he's like inspecting the letter, right. To see if it's real. Yeah. And like, bro, like Tyrion's not going to come into King's Landing with a fake letter from Tywin. Like, please. (laughs) So he's like, it gives every appearance of being genuine. Of course it's genuine. Cersei snatched it out of his hands. She broke the wax and unrolled the parchment. Tyrion watched her read. His sister had taken the king's seat for herself. He gathered Joffrey did not often trouble to attend council meetings, no more than Robert had. So Tyrion climbed up into the hand's chair. It seemed only appropriate. This is absurd, the queen said at last. My lord father has sent my brother to sit in his place in this council. He bids us accept Tyrion as the hand of the king until such time as he himself can join us. And Grand Maester Pycelle stroked his flowing white beard and nodded ponderously. It would seem that a welcome is in order. Indeed, Jowly, balding Janice Slint looked rather like a frog, a smug frog who had gotten rather above himself. We have sore need of you, my lord. Rebellion everywhere. This grim omen in the sky, rioting in the city streets. And whose fault is that, Lord Janice? Cersei lashed out. And then she kind of blames the gold cloaks. Um, But it's funny because one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments of Tyrion is when he checks the absolute fuck out of Janice slit and that will come <laughs> but basically they're going through um all of them are going through shock because they never expected this they never expected Tyrion to be coming to King's Landing and acting as hand but they've literally shown Tywin that they can't control Joffrey you like you let him cut off Ned Stark's head yep yeah and again, like uh, I had said, like despite being miles away, Tywin still looms large. And we see this at like by the fact that Cersei is so disgruntled with this letter where she's saying, well, I sent a royal order to to our father and he sends you. And it's like and Tyrion has to remind her, I was like, yeah, you sent an order and he ignored it. And how Joffrey like her order is actually supposed to be Joffrey's order Joffrey's supposed to be the king yet here's Tywin just outright ignoring it and sending Tyrion instead so Mm -hmm. it goes to show like yeah Joffrey might be in king but really who gives a shit like he doesn't really (laughs) hold any power right just the title just just the title just the title and it's funny because when they're um like we have the small council. So we have Barris, we have Grandmaster Pysel and Littlefinger and Cersei and Janice Slint. But when he he talks about Tyrion, talks about the welcome that he got in the Vale of Aaron, which we know how he was treated in the Vale of Aaron. Mm-hmm. And Littlefinger laughs. And then Tyrion like kind of smiles at him, but he remembers a certain dagger with a dragon bone hilt and a Valerian steel blade. We must have a talk about that and soon. Um, and he said that he wondered if Lord Peter would find the subject amusing as well. And I, I've always been interested as to why Tyrion never told Tywin about that situation or why he never really told anybody about like Catelyn took me because Littlefinger said this blade was mine. Like, yeah, it's, it, it, it is. I don't know if that's an oversight by George or if it's something that Tyrion 
which is kind of holding in his back pocket, maybe as leverage over Littlefinger later. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it is weird because especially because in this chapter, when uh, T- when Tyrion tells uh, Cersei that Tywin has his suspicions about this small council, you'd think, well, that, w- that would include Littlefinger. So you'd think that that would be the perfect time to raise that like, well, you know, girl, let me tell you this shit about what happened. And, I mean, he does he does say uh, later on when they uh, acute when he asks Cersei who killed John Aaron, and he says, "Well, uh, they seem to think that I had a hand a hand in that." And then Cersei's like, "Yeah, and I was accused of the same thing." So it seems like you know this that would have been the perfect time to say, "Well, you know what? This is what Littlefinger did," and it would have had some eyes uh, darting back to Littlefinger. But for whatever reason, he doesn't say it. And he really could have saved himself a lot of trouble if he had just raised it right then and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what he, what he was thinking. I, I Like, I do think it was something he was trying to hold close to his chest. But damn, you should have told somebody because Littlefinger called such a mess. I feel like if Tyrion and Cersei could have just worked together, so mm-hmm. much could have been solved for their house. Like, so many issues that arose could have been snuffed out early uh, that's pro- oh go ahead I was, I was gonna say that's probably what george if it, now they think about it like that might be what george is going for which is that despite all of their courtesies and the things they're saying in this chapter Tyrion and cersei are both still working towards their own ends which is probably another reason why Tyrion's keeping these secrets yeah because he, sa- he says that we should work together and she agrees that they should work together. But the entire time, th- but every step of the way, they're just constantly undermining one another. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, your goals are, e- your goals are never going to come to light. Even though your goal, you have the shared, you know, the same shared goal, your constant undermining of one another, because you can't get past your hatred of one another mm-hmm. is, al- is always going to get in the way, even though you both want the same result. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I honestly think that it's more on Cersei's part than on Tyrion's part because Cersei is so paranoid that Tyrion is the Valonqar. Like she's so paranoid that Tyrion just wants to like harm her. And it's it's from her own doing because we know as a baby, like she treated Tyrion like shit. Like mm-hmm. we know that she was basically abusive. Like she was physically and mentally abusive to Tyrion when he was a yeah, baby. From- from the moment he was born because she still she blames him for killing their mother as as if Tyrion had any control over that as an infant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so Tyrion asked to speak to Cersei by himself like let me speak to my sister alone and then like they reluctantly leave and he's like um they tell him what the part you were talking about well we'll prepare a, a apartments for you in Maegor's Holdfast and he's like no I'm going to take Lord Stark's former quarters in the Tower of the Hand. And Littlefinger laughed. You're a braver man than me, Lannister. You do know the fate of the last two hands. Two, if you mean to frighten me, why not say four? Four, Littlefinger raised an eyebrow. Did the hands before Lord Aaron meet some dire end in the Tower? I'm afraid I was too young to pay them much mind. Aerys Targaryen's last hand was killed during the sack of King's Landing. Though I doubt he'd had time to settle into the Tower... He was only hand for a fortnight. The one before him was burned to death. And before them came two others who died landless and penniless in exile and counted themselves lucky. I believe my Lord Father was the last hand to depart King's Landing with his name, properties, and parts all intact. Fascinating, said Littlefinger. 
and all the more reason I'd sooner bed down in a dungeon. So one interesting thing I want to point out is the foreshadowing here that Tywin will actually die in the Tower of the Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically, he, like Tyrion basically should have knocked on wood when he said this um, because he's like bragging like, only Tywin Lannister, my lord father, was able to be hand and, and depart with all his money and riches and da 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 da. But we know when he comes back, he'll never depart. And you were saying um, the hands before. You had a theory about the hands before. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, refresh my memory on who those hands were. And you see, like within the course of, it's only within the course of three years that uh, Aerys II, the Mad King, goes through four hands after mm-hmm. Tywin resigns. We have Rosart. He, uh, he was the one who, ruled, who was hand for a fortnight. He was Grand Maester of the Alchemist Guild, and he was one of the key players in Aerys's plot to burn King's Landing yeah. with wildfire. He's but the he one was... that Jamie killed him, right? Yep, Jamie killed him. Uh, before that, you had Carlton Chelsted. He... Uh, accompanied Eris to the tourney at Harrenhal and he was he was one of the people that played into Eris's paranoia about what Rhaegar was up to he was the one he was one of the people kind of whispering in Rhaegar's I mean in Eris's ear that hey Rhaegar your, your kid's staging a coup but then when he discovered the wildfire plot uh he pleaded with Eris not to do it and Eris uh dipped him in wildfire and burned him alive saying and he was killed for bad counsel during war Mm -hmm. and then there are the two others where that uh Tyrion mentions the ones who died penniless in exile well only well one is not not dead and didn't didn't die in exile that's John Connington so like already right there just with this one little line uh, George is already laying the seed work for John Con and Fagon, even though they're not going to come for another three books. Yeah. Yeah. And well, then last, there's Owen Merriweather, who was just uh, not really much to say about Owen Merriweather. He was just kind of a lick spittle. He just he told Eris all the things he wanted to hear. But then when after Tywin resigned, uh, Eris promoted him, but he was really just really, really bad at doing the job. He failed to prevent Robert's rebellion. So Eris's paranoia led to the belief that he was conspiring with Robert and Ned. But he got lucky that he was just, you know, exiled and stripped of his lands and holdings. Right. And he was, he's Tana's relative, right? Yeah. Tana. Is it her husband or her, not her husband, uh, I don't think. Uh, let me look up House House Mary. I have I have the wiki open because I figured. Uh, let's see, House Merryweather. Because I know Tana is like trying to get, like. Yes, Tana of Mir. Uh, her husband is Owen Merryweather, and her son Russell Merryweather. She's the one who said, "Oh, you know, we should have our." She's the one trying to like get her son, trying to get Cersei to have her son get into Tommen's court and be Tommen's friend. She wants her kid to be friends with this child king. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So um, moving forward, Tyrion is basically talking to Cersei. Um, and she's basically like, 
why has father done this to me? Like, why has he inflicted you on me? And she's like, I wanted him to come himself. And I sent him a royal command. And Tyrion's like, he ignored you. Yup. <laughs> and he has quite a large army and he can do that. Nor is he the first, is he? And I feel like this is a big, big point because Tyrion is able to move how he moves in King's Landing. He, he does something that Ned Stark should have done, but didn't. And that was he put men around him and put men in positions around him to protect himself, to, to basically have power. Like if you look at Fire and Blood, um, uh, Otto Hightower was very scared of Damon. But what could he do to Damon? Because Damon was like captain of the gold cloaks. Like Damon had a lot of power around him. And, it, and it's the same with um, Tyrion. Like when Ned comes to King's Landing, Ned is like giving out his guards. Like he's giving them out. Like Janice Slint comes in there like, oh, these people are, this tourney is causing a muck. And Ned's like, well, I'll give you some of my household guards. Instead of like putting his Winterfell Stark people in positions of power, he's like, basically weakening himself um and Tyrion doesn't do that like we see Tyrion right away gets down to business like he brings Bronn with him he makes a position for Bronn like he has the the uh the wildlings yeah the wildlings um from the mountain clans uh he had like he he gets rid of Janice Slint like he's not playing like he realizes um the power that you have like Tywin can ignore Cersei because Tywin has an army. So I need to build my own army. And he builds like a ragtag troop, army troop. And he covers his bases. Um, But Cersei's kind of mad. And she's like, if I name this letter a forgery and tell them to throw you in a dungeon, no one will ignore that, I promise you. And Tyrion's kind of like, um got to move a little more softly here with her and he agrees with her no one least of all our father the one with the army but why should you want to throw me into a dungeon sweet sister when i've come to when i've come all this long way to help you i do not require your help it was our father's presence that i commanded yes he said quietly but it's jamie you want and he, he basically knows exactly how to push Cersei's buttons. He yep. knows, he knows how to manipulate Cersei to an extent. Um, but she, he, he like looks at her and, and like reads all of this, uh, these emotions on her face and he sees rage, fear, and despair. And she talks about Jamie and he's like, Jamie is my brother, no less than yours. Give me your support. And I promise you, we will have Jamie freed and return to us unharmed. How? Cersei demanded. The Stark boy and his mother are not like to forget that we beheaded Lord Eddard. True, Tyrion agreed. Yet you still hold his daughters, don't you? I saw the old girl out in the yard with Joffrey. Sansa, the queen said, I've given it out that I have the youngest brat as well but it's a lie. I sent Marin Tratt to take her in hand when Robert died, but her wretched dancing master interfered and the girl fled. No one has seen her since. Likely she's dead. A great many people died that day. Tyrion had hoped for both Stark girls, but he supposed one would have to do. Tell me about our friends on the council. 
His sister glanced at the door. What of them? And then they talk, they talk about like Tywin taking a, a dislike to them. And Tywin, I feel like Tywin is, is right for not liking them because they could have stopped Ned Stark from being beheaded and all of them just stood still. Like, I almost think it was orchestrated by Littlefinger and Janice Slint. Oh, me we're, too. We're not going to send him to the wall. We're going to kill him. Oh, yeah. I do think that Littlefinger is the one who goaded Joffrey into giving that order. Uh, Jano Slint, I don't think Jano Slint is, is smart enough to really be like a conspirator in that. Mm-hmm. Jano Slint just seems more like Jano Slint was just the... He'd be the type to give the I'm I was just following orders rule. I mean, even though he did it gleefully, I don't think he re- I don't think he had much of a say in that. I do think it was more all Littlefinger uh, whispering that into Joffrey's ear of like, yeah. hey, you know, th- this is this is this is what your mother said to you do, but you know what you should really do. And then knowing Joffrey's sadistic behavior, like it it, it stood to reason that that little fi- that he probably would have taken Littlefinger's suggestion, and of course of course he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we I mean, also Joffrey's see... easy to manipulate. Oh, of course, of course, Joffrey. Joffrey's uh, he's a, he's a stupid shit. And but if you he's easy to read, and you know, just give him the most violent means as as a way of going about doing it, and that's the one he's gonna pick. And I think that's why Tywin is so suspicious of the small council because. Like we see in the previous chapter, the Sansa chapter, that even Sansa was able to manipulate Joffrey into not killing Ser Dantos. Mm-hmm. And Sansa isn't, she hasn't had these manipulative lessons from Littlefinger yet. Like she's very, very new at this. And even she is able to manipulate him into not killing Ser Dantos. So you're telling me that Littlefinger, Varys, Maester Pycelle, like none of you guys were able to keep him from killing Ned Stark. And they, we see like, as we go through this conversation more, like we see like Tywin definitely has his reasons to be suspicious because mm-hmm. we can see that these small council members, especially Littlefinger and Varys are kind of going about their own accord because Tyrion asks, okay, who Jano Slint is now Lord of Harrenhal, whose right idea was that? And then Cersei has to say, well, that was Littlefinger. And he's like, okay, and you dismissed Barristan Selmy, whose bright idea was that? And yeah. she has to, that's Varys. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, uh, you, you see, these guys are kind of getting away with a lot. And you not only are you not holding Joffrey in check, you're also not holding your council members in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that and like he says, uh, Joffrey's reign has been a parade of follies, <laughs> one after another, like. It's, just mistake after mistake after mistake yeah and it's like okay we know the like tywin knows these are capable people so what are you doing like you're undermining his whole reign and we know that in fact Varys is doing that mm-hmm. little finger not so much i don't think little finger like wants to overthrow joffrey or has some major plan like Varys does with Aegon because I feel like part of the reason Varys dismissed Ser Barrison is so Ser Barrison can go be on Aegon's side. So uh, Aegon could have possibly come to Westeros with one of the greatest uh, King's Guard ever at his yeah, side. Because t- Tyrion raises the point of 
when uh, like okay you let one of the greatest Kingsguard member go uh you know one of the most famous one of the most renowned one that the small folk look up to how's that going to look if he comes marching in with Renly or Stannis and Cersei has to be like oh I didn't even think of that and it's like well of course you didn't think of that optics are everything in these kind of situations but I agree I do think that Varys his intent of having Barristan dismissed was the hope that maybe Barristan would join up with Fagon's crew, but instead mm -hmm. he joins up with Danny's, and that just seems like another one of those uh, blunders of Varys's and Illyrio's plans just not going exactly as they foresee. Yeah, I'm hitting a stag. It's like, well, yeah, because you have this great Machiavellian plan with all these inner workings, yet stuff is happening across the sea, and you're you're both separated by continent. You can't expect all of these things to line up so well. Yeah. And I think that's one of them. Barristan was supposed, well, he was supposed to go to Aegon, but he went to Danny instead. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that it was supposed to be Aegon was because he was with Illyrio. Mm -hmm. Like he came to Danny, like from Illyrio as the white beard. But <clears throat> Cersei talks about like Sansa coming to her with her father's plans. And um, they talk about Cersei or Sansa being wet with love. She would have done anything for Joffrey until he cut off her father's head and called it mercy. That put an end to that. And he talk. They talk about um, Sir Janice or Janice Slint. We talked about like how he was made Lord of Harrenhal. Like, bro, how do you how do you come from like the son of a butcher to Lord of Harrenhal, like one of the greatest castles in Westeros? Like, it just it made no sense, and it kind of like no one wants to be rewarded Harrenhal at this point because it's so cursed. Um, yeah. so we kind of knew he was gonna die. Um, Tyrion is basically trying to talk sense into Cersei. Like when it comes to uh, Barristan and then uh, all the decisions that she made. And she says, like, you know, I hadn't considered that. And father did, said Tyrion. That is why he sent me to put an end to these follies and to bring your son to heal. Joff will be no more tractable for you than for me. He might. Why should he? He knows you would never hurt him. Cersei's eyes narrowed. If you believe I'd ever allow you to harm my son, you're sick with fever. Tyrion sighed. She missed the point, as she did so often. Joffrey is as safe with me as he is with you, he assured her. But so long as the boy feels threatened, he'll be more inclined to listen. He took her hand. I am your brother, you know. You need me, whether you care to admit it or no. Your son needs me if he's to have a hope of retaining that ugly iron chair. His sister seemed shocked that he would touch her. You have always been cunning. In my own small way, he grinned. It may be worth the trying, but make no mistake, Tyrion. If I accept you, you shall be the king's hand in name, but my hand in truth. You will share all your plans and intentions with me before you act, and you will do nothing without my consent. Do you understand? Oh, yes. Do you agree? Certainly, he lied. I am yours, sister. <laughs> so basically that's when they get into the conversation about who murdered john aaron and cersei's like how should i know and Tyrion's like well they seem to think that i did it and cersei's like well that fool eddard sark accused me of the same thing um 
And what's funny is, it's like, this is like the one crime the Lannisters aren't guilty of. Right. They have nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he, he's, blah, blah, blah. so she says, I'm sure I don't know. That fool Eddard Stark accused me of the same thing. He hinted that Lord Aaron is suspected or, well, believed that you were fucking our sweet Jamie. She slapped him. Do you think I was as blind as father? Tyrion rubbed his cheek. Who you lie with is no matter to me, although it doesn't seem quite just that you should open your legs for one brother and not the other. She slapped him again. (laughs) Be gentle, Cersei. I'm only jesting with you. If truth be told, I'd sooner have a nice whore. I never understood what Jamie saw in you apart from his own reflection. She slapped him. His cheeks were red and burning, (laughs) yet he smiled. If If you keep doing that, I may get angry. That stayed her hand. Why should I care if you do? I have some new friends, Tyrion confessed. You won't like them at all. How did you kill Robert? <laughs> like Tyrion goes from like, they go from like this almost loving conversation. Like you need me, you know, you need me to like just drilling her. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know you're fucking Jamie. I don't know why you're fucking Jamie and not me. But to be honest, Jamie, I don't know what he sees in you but his own reflection. And that's what Cersei sees in Jamie. Cersei sees herself, her own reflection in Jamie. And that's why she likes him because um, Cersei is a narcissist. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, he says, or Cersei says that he killed himself. Like they just helped him. Like they just helped him. Like they just gave him stronger wine. And they say like, he, he could have stopped anytime he wanted, but he just kept drinking skin after skin after skin. Like she said, mm-hmm. he could have stopped swallowing it down anytime he cared to, but no, he drained one skin and told Lancel to fetch another. So that yeah. just plays into like Robert's, uh, not just Robert's foolishness, but also Robert's just deep-seated alcoholism that mm-hmm. he, that like he tasted, he knows this is strong, but instead of making the decision of like, maybe I shouldn't do this while I'm hunting, it's like, no, more. I want to get drunk as fuck on this, on this hunting trip. Yeah. So Tyrion eventually leaves and he's like, his one parting request is that like they treat Sansa, right? Uh, Like make sure no harm comes to Sansa Stark. It would not do to lose both daughters. And then he um, goes outside and he like has this urge to explore. (laughs) And he's like, where's uh, Timmit? I hope he doesn't kill anybody important. Like, <laughs> like what? These are his, like, he has some savage ass guards. Yeah. Or like later, uh, when he tells, uh, when he's telling them uh, to have the stewards set up, set up quarters for them. But then he makes a point of saying, but don't put the stone crows with the moon brothers. The bird men need a hall all to themselves. It's like, yeah, don't, even though these are supposed to be his men, he still acknowledges that these clans uh, despite be despite all working for him, they still have their blood fused with one another. And he basically has to tell the stewards, like, yeah, don't sit the bloods with the crypts. It's not going to go down well. They need to be separated. Yeah. I mean, and, and for Tyrion, like, one thing I'll give Tyrion is, like, when he gets there, it's game on. Like, it's, like, he's been riding from the north to the Vale, to fighting in the Riverlands and now he's riding from the Riverlands to the, like he takes no break 
he's basically like, I need to see my sister right now. You know, I like when Ned Stark got to King's Landing, he was like, I need a bath. <laughs> I need mm-hmm. to go like chill out. And the council's like, no, we need to see you now. And he's kind of like begrudgingly goes, but with tear, and he goes like in someone else's clothes and shit because his clothes aren't unpacked. But with Tyrion, it's like all about business. He wants to get right to it. Like he basically is like, he wants to get the household, his sister's household guard and remind him that he serves Cashley Rock and not Cersei or Joffrey. Um, he wants like, he wants to get the business. Like, yeah. I think he, he orders them to take the heads down. Like, oh yeah, he does. And that, that's a, again, that's, that's another one of these moments where we see, even though Joffrey is king, uh, just how little uh, that, that means. Because when Tyrion says, like, I want those heads taken down, give them to the Silent Sisters for cleaning, we have to respect some courtesies in war. Uh, the captain, Captain Vilar, uh, he's hesitant at first because he says, uh, or, well, your grace wants those to stay up. And Tyrion's like, okay, take them down or someone else's head is going to go up there. And then Vilar's like, I'll make sure they come down myself. Right. Because I think Tyrion tells him, like, my nephew is 13 years old. Like, he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tyrion, I think in next, he goes, like, he's going through the streets of King's Landing. And he is seeing just how shitty and miserable the situation is. Yeah. Um, I'll actually, I'll read the quote because it's pretty bad. The streets of King's Landing had always been teeming and raucous and noisy, but now they reeked of danger in a way that he did not recall from past visits. A naked corpse sprawled in the gutter near the street of looms being torn at by a pack of feral dogs. Yet no one seemed to care. Watchmen were much in evidence, moving in pairs through the alleys in their gold cloaks and shirts of black ringmail, iron cudgels never far from their hands. The markets were crowded with ragged men selling their household goods for any price they could get, and conspicuously empty of farmers selling food. What little produce he did see was three times as costly as it had been a year ago. One peddler was hawking rats roasted on a skewer. Fresh rats, he cried loudly. Fresh rats. Doubtless, fresh rats were to be preferred to old, stale, rotten rats. The frightening thing was the rats looked more appetizing than most of what the butchers were selling. On the street of flour, Tyrion saw guards at every other shop door. When times grew lean, even bakers found swords cheaper than bread, he reflected. There is no food coming in, is there? He said to Vilar. Little enough, the captain admitted. With the war in the Riverlands, Lord Renly raising rebels in High Garden, the roads are closed to the south and west. And what has my good sister done about this? And basically nothing. <laughs> she hasn't done anything. She hasn't done anything about it. Um, they try to tell him like she's trying to restore the king's peace, and like they're putting in, like they're trying to triple the size of the city watch. Um, but they're they're more so focusing on strengthening the walls and building catapults and forging yeah. blades and things like that they're not really concerned about the food shortage which that that's and i think that's something that we could actually uh Re- relate to relate to <laughs> like we're we're americans we know the idea of putting all your money in defense and nothing <laughs> in actual social programs to help yeah people. exactly and but this is also coming off of 
uh, before when, when they're talking about Robert's death and Cersei says like, oh, you should have been at the feast. They served the boar with mushrooms and apples that tasted like triumph. And it's like, okay, well, you're having a feast while your people are starving. So you really see Cersei being set up for her whole, for her whole uh, well, let them eat cake moment. Like, you know that that's coming in the future. Yeah, I mean how out of touch like i'm really fast forwarding in the books here how many courses was it at joffrey's wedding like 77 77 how the whole out, seven thing yeah how out of touch do you have to be to to have people to be at war to have people starving around you to have 77 yep. courses and they say like, but the roads are closed to the south and west. And what's out west? Well, that's the reach. That's Highgarden. That's the breadbasket of the kingdom. But yeah. Renly is out with, you know, he's he's uh, buddying up with the Tyrells, uh, gathering his forces. And he's able to just look at King's Landing and say, kitchen's closed, bitch. Like, go elsewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But then we see like, you see like, uh, yeah, just a, a, a naked corpse out in the street, just being gnawed on by feral dogs. But everyone's just walking around like, oh, yeah, same, you know, same shit, different day. Like this, this is not normal. Yeah. People are just going about their business as best as they can, selling what little bit they have, like basically mm-hmm. selling the shirts off their backs just to try and survive another day. Yeah. I mean, that it's, it's a very like somber scary scene that he's seeing and like the we've got a good look at king's landing we got it um in a ned stark pov before with janice slint like saying there's a head floating in the rainbow pool and they're drag racing down the streets of the sisters and they're doing this and they're doing that but when food is three times the cost Mm -hmm. and people are on the streets basically having to have guards in front of their shops like that is a a recipe for disaster. Like, cause when you have starving people, all uh reason goes out the window. And when you're starving, you're not gonna you're not gonna care about the consequences. If you're hungry and you want a piece of bread, if you have to kill a baker to get it, you're gonna do it because mm-hmm. it's either that or die. And that is like what's breeding right now in, in Flea Bottom and in, in the sh- on the streets of King's Landing. And Tyrion sees that and notices that. And I feel like if Cersei does, she don't care. There's also more foreshadowing in this one, because not only does Vilar mention how uh, they we tripled the size of the city watch, we got stonemason strength in the walls. He also makes the point of saying uh, the art, the alchemist guild has pledged 10,000 jars of wildfire. So right there we have this, this is another seed George planet. So you got 10,000 yeah. jars of wildfire and that's on top of all of the other caches of wildfire from Eris, from Eris, uh, the mad King's day. Yeah. It makes, it makes me think of like, again, real, real world things, like how there are still, landmines from wars that are decades and decades ago mm-hmm. and this is the same situation so we have these new caches of wildfire you have old caches of wildfire we don't know where they are but they're there and this is this is all uh, a thing that i think it, it's like Chekhov's gun this is something that george is placing here because that, that's gonna come later and yeah. Tyrion has that thought like well how i don't know how great these walls are going to be when they're sitting on this powder keg of wildfire Mm-hmm. Oh, and another interesting thing that Tyrion brings up in this whole wildfire conversation is Tyrion is like, um, 
where has my sister found the coin to pay for all of this? Yep. It was no secret that King Robert had left the crown vastly in debt. So there are two things. Like, if it was no secret that the crown was in debt, how the fuck did Ned not know? Like, it seems like this is common knowledge that the crown's in debt. But Ned kind of like, I will not believe that John Aaron let Robert beggar the realm. I just won't believe that. And, and Tyrion kind of already knows about it. And I don't know if he knows about it because he's in close quarters with Lannisters and, and people that are, you know, close to the fire. But at the same time, you got to know Robert's spending habits were crazy. Yeah. They, were, they were crazy. And then they tell him, you know, Littlefinger always finds a way to pay. With, and when it comes to Ned, there's two reasonings I can put to that. One, either Ned was in denial about just how bad things were under Robert's rule, like kind of looking the other way because Robert's his bestie, mm-hmm. or Ned legitimately did not know, and that's just because of how far removed the North is from Southern yeah. politics. Because the North really is like a world all its own. Right, and they really don't give a fuck about what goes on in the South. Yeah, anything south of the neck is not their problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so Littlefinger puts a tax on people wanting, wanting to enter the city. And Tyrion says it's clever, but it's cruel. Because these people are trying to escape the war. So there's mothers and children and anxious fathers um, who are like, you know, trying to get behind the high comforting walls between them and the war and little fingers like eh, i'm gonna put a price on that so yeah. it, it's it's cruel oh yeah because he got the lannisters charging attacks for protection in a city from a war that they essentially caused mm-hmm. and this tax is enacted by the man who sowed the seeds for this war because he's the one who actually well through uh, through uh liza he's the one who actually did kill john aaron that led to this and it's also, uh, th- this is just my, this is my personal belief. And I, I think some others might be agree. Probably also laid the seeds for Robert's rebellion in that I think Littlefinger was probably the one who told Brandon Stark about Lyanna being kidnapped by Rhaegar. Yeah, that so makes sense. Littlefinger has just been sowing the seeds of chaos for, for years now. And he might actually be responsible for not just one war, but but two wars. Two wars may all be part of a little Littlefinger's architecture, and he, here he is profiting off of that. And we'll see that in the future, like when when Littlefinger takes over the Vale, and he's going to start gouging prices on bread. Like L- Littlefinger is someone who profits off of others' misery, and he has no qualms about that. Yeah, I can't wait for Sansa to kill him. <laughs> But I, I definitely believe he's the one that informed Brandon Stark, like put that seed in Brandon Stark, like Rhaegar kidnapped your sister, go do something about it. Like, let me yeah. send Brandon Stark off to die. I did a video on that about three years ago. I will link it below for those of you that do, don't watch YouTube and listen on another platform. If you want to check it out, it will be linked below. It's- I remember that video. That's probably why I <laughs> Yeah, it's because he's so, he's right there. He's right yeah. there where everything transpired. So, and, and we, we see- know if he hates Brandon all these years later, what do you think he felt about him like the months following yeah. that? 
And, the and what do you think he felt about Ned? Because it comes back to what we had talked about before. Like Littlefinger's probably the one who planted the notion in Joffrey's head to kill Ned. Yeah. And it's just Littlefinger. It's just taking down every Stark that he, well, every, every Stark man that was betrothed to Catelyn. Yep. Because he feels entitled to her. Yeah. It's, he's a piece of shit, but he's such a good character. He's mm-hmm. such a good character for like storytelling purposes, but he's definitely a piece of shit. So Tyrion arrives to uh, the Broken Anvil, which is an inn. Um, it's near the Gate of the Gods. And he's going to see Shay. <laughs> and we know he wasn't supposed to take Shay with him to King's Landing. I mean, he tries to he tries to make the excuse of, well, Tywin said, do not take her. Uh, basically said, don't take her to the castle. And he's like, okay, I'm not taking her to the castle, but I will take her into the city. Like, you weren't specific enough. He's trying to play it like that. Yeah, yeah, he is. And Shay, uh, I am so conflicted about Shay because I like Shay. I like Shay. And I bl- totally blame Tyrion for his false beliefs about Shay. Like, he knows what she is and he just completely wants to ignore it. Like, there's so many POVs with Tyrion, like, um, she's the whore. You're so stupid, Tyrion, for believing she loves you. Like that, like he's telling himself this, but then he completely ignores it. And it's the only time that you really see Tyrion be willfully ignorant. And that's when it comes to Shay mm-hmm. or women in general. And but that's part of Tyrion's character. It's like Tyrion wants so much to be loved. Mm-hmm. And he deludes himself into thinking he found, even when he knows it's not real, he just he needs that belief that somebody loves me for who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So when Tyrion walks into the inn and Tyrion's in the inn, who else is in the inn but Lord Varys? Um, and Tyrion is kind of like. Lord Varys I had not thought to see you here and he in his mind he's like the others take him how did he find me so quickly and like Varys just knows what's going on like he's you can't fool him and Varys is kind of like you know I, I've met your your friend <laughs> your friend here Shay and Tyrion is like I think he is he's upset and I, I but I also think because Varys keeps the secret is is kind of what makes Varys and Tyrion get along mm-hmm. in the end like in the long road like because Varys doesn't play games with Tyrion like you know how Varys was with Ned like kind of tiptoeing around shit and trying to like let Ned find out things on his own try he said he, like he does what did he say to Ned? Like, I had to make sure you were a good man before I, or an honorable man or whatever. Before yeah, because they're like, so, such things are so rare and yeah. actually honorable man. But with Tyrion, I think he kind of gets right to the point. Oh, because he knows that Tyrion's not, uh, Tyrion's at this, because Tyrion hasn't gone down the dark road yet. So at this point, Tyrion's better than most, but he's still self-serving and self-interested. And Varys knows that. So he's not going to, he also knows that. Uh, I think Varys knew that like, okay, this Ned, he's thick-headed. 
I'm going to have to, like, I need to try and teach him. Whereas Varys knows, like, Tyrion basic Tyrion kind of, Tyrion knows the game. I don't really yeah. have to, I don't have to play these games with them. Like, we can kind of get, sh- they're still having their war of words with the the unspoken things, the things that are said, but this is what they really mean. Yeah. But Varys, Varys knows, like, I really don't have to prod him along too much. He's, he, we're going to, he's going to know exactly what I'm getting at. I'm going to know exactly what he's getting at. And this is someone that I can work with. Yeah. And you also have to think that Varys knows Tyrion a little better. Like, Varys has been around Tyrion, probably been spying on Tyrion even for a while. And he also knows the things about Tyrion that he can exploit. Like he knows Tyrion is the lowest of the Lannisters. Like he knows. Yeah. He's, he's not. I mean, Tyrion to me is one of the best of the Lannisters. But if we look at Tyrion, like the status quo in Tywin's eyes, Tyrion is the lowest of the Lannisters. And he knows that he could probably exploit that father-son dynamic between Tyrion and Tywin and how his sister hates him. I can exploit that too. Like Varys is way more familiar. Like Ned Stark, like you were saying, the North is so far removed. Ned Stark was a stranger that had came to town. And Tyrion has been around King's Landing. He's like Cersei is his sister and Jamie is his brother and Tywin is his father. Like they, like Lord Varys has probably been spying on Tyrion for a while. Yeah, exactly. And like, just like Littlefinger, Varys knows how to read people. And Varys, like Varys and Littlefinger are two of the best players of the game in the entire story. And I I love Varys' character. One, one of the reasons why I like Tyrion chapters so much is because Tyrion is the one who has the most uh, interaction with Varys. Yeah. And Var- like the whole conversation with w- that they have in this, especially Varys' riddle at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also like I think that's another bit of foreshadowing, and I'm just gonna come clean. Like I had told you, I got a I got a kitten named Damon. He's a black cat. He's Damon Blackfire. I am a treacherous Blackfire supporter. <laughs> oh, black- I like I like the Blackfires too. Oh, the Blackfire rebellions are some of my favorite bit of lore in this story. I hope so- and pray HBO does the Blackfire rebellions. It's one of the uh, it's one of the best stories, especially the political side of it. Yeah. Especially like, like start with Aegon the Fifth, go all the way up to all of the rebellions. Like uh I mean uh like uh, go all the way up to Egg's reign. Well, Egg wasn't born yet during the first Blackfire Rebellion. Right, right. But yeah. I'm I'm saying I think they should cover all of them. Like oh, the, yeah, the yeah. second, the third, cover because I saw on Twitter that they are adapting the Blackfire um not the Blackfire, the Duncan Egg series. Yes. They were green light to adapt that. And a lot of what is going on in the Duncan Egg series is like the aftermath of the Blackfire rebellions because we have the first rebellion ended with Makar and Balon? Baylor. Baylor. Baylor Breakspear. Right. And then we know Makar is Egg's dad. So if you you gotta start with the Blackfire Rebellions before you start telling Duncan Egg, please. Like, oh, yeah, I want bitter steel. Field. <laughs> yeah, I want red grass field. I want bitter steel. I want it. Yeah, I want all of it too. And so, so since I love the Blackfire Rebellions, like, so anytime Vera shows up, it's like my spidey senses really start to tingle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, 
So when he has this conversation with Tyrion, where he lays down that riddle of like, well, who holds the power, uh, uh, the rich man, the king, or the or the priest with the sellsword? What's really what what I think Barris is really alluding to in this riddle is that the rich man, the priest, and the king are aren't uh, aren't supposed to be our focus. And Tyrion notes it too, like when he says, "Well, it depends on the sellsword." Mm-hmm. I think that Varys may be this might be foreshadowing Varys is probably alluding to the golden company because this is a company of sellswords that is now going to follow Fagon. yeah that they a company that they're a company of sellswords so they take whatever contract they get and they're renowned for never breaking a contract yet for the first time in history they have broken a contract to follow this kid who's claiming to be a targaryen even though historically they have always been blackfire supporters mm-hmm. that, so i think like yeah it's 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 just massive foreshadowing yeah because Varys is so deep in that blackfire in 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 getting Fagon and Varys, i would say is like the the master like he's the master of it i don't even think like illyrio like i feel like illyrio works for Varys on this like i don't even <laughs> i don't even think illyrio is like on the same level as like Varys is the brains behind all of this oh no and we can see that because while Varys while their plan has its holes most of the complications that come with their plan are because of Illyrio dropping the ball and George has that that little jab at himself of how the fat man's plans keep changing yeah like he's it's supposed to be Illyrio but really he's talking about himself as the books have gone on but that isn't to say that Varys is perfect because like if we can like we noted with Barristan, like how uh, the original intention was probably for Barristan to find his way to Fagon. Instead, he found his way to Danny. Yeah. But but there still is a chance that he might find his way to Fagon because Danny, there is these three betrayals. And one of the theories is out there is that one of the betrayals might be Barristan uh, mm-hmm. if he learns about Fagon because how he had such respect for Rhaegar that if he hears that Rhaegar's quote unquote son is still alive, that he might jump ship to him. Which, mm-hmm. which to me be really interesting because if Fagon is, and I'm fully on board that Fagon is a Blackfire, but Barristan Selmy, when he ki- when he slew Maelys the Monstrous, not only he ended the War of the Nine Penny Kings, but that was also the fifth Blackfire Rebellion. So it'd be real interesting, be really ironic if the man who ended the fifth Blackfire Rebellion unknowingly helps kick off the sixth. And if Aegon is crowned, wouldn't Aegon be Aegon the Sixth? He would be Aegon the Sixth. Mm. So I don't know. Aegon- I, I definitely think he's a Blackfire, so I do agree with that. And poetically, like I do think the Barristan theory, I've heard I am not a fan of it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of it because the dynamic between Barristan and Danny, in order for him, in order for Barristan to go over to Aegon, he would have to betray Danny. Yeah. And I don't, I, don't, like it either. I don't like that idea of him betraying Danny because it's like all she's ever known is fucking betrayal. Like, when will somebody be loyal to her? Like I said, I, I don't like the theory. I acknowledge it just because of the whole Barristan, Fifth Blackfire Rebellion and mm-hmm. Sixth Blackfire Rebellion. I do think that that would be an interesting twist. But I like Tony Teflon's idea better that Barristan's going to get killed by Victorian because... Barristan has that whole inner monologue when he's fighting. Um, I'm blanking on the dude's name, but that one pit fighter. And Barristan has this whole 
inner inner dialogue with himself about the difference between fighting a man with armor versus fighting someone who doesn't. Yeah. And then when he notes the Ironborn showing up in Marine, uh, Victorian's wearing his Kraken armor, and Victorian has his whole inner monologue later, how he laments the fact that he's never had that of all the men he's killed, he's never had like a big name. Like when he kills uh, that Tarby guy on the Shield Islands, he's just like, well, no one's really going to remember this guy. But if he were to fight Barristan Selmy, that's mm. a name. That's a name to take off your bucket list. So that's why I love Tony Teflon's idea. I mean, that's a good idea. Espe- like, I guess we can both agree the way they killed him off in the show fucking oh, terrible. sucked. It sucked so bad. It sucked I mean, the, so it's- bad. And you know they did because the actor brought up to D and D like, "Hey, you know my guy's gonna have a lot of stuff," and so they they purposely gave him a shitty death because he this is a man who had read the books and was expecting to have like a a big role in the show that yeah. he did not get. Yeah, yeah, he was pissed. <laughs> um, so Tyrion and Shay like they go to bed and they basically do the nasty or whatever. And Tyrion says his inner monologue is, will you never learn, dwarf? She's a whore, damn you. It's your coin she loves, not your cock. Remember Tysha? Yet when her fingers trailed lightly over one nipple, it stiffened at the touch and he could see the mark on her breast where he'd bitten her in passion. So what will you do, my lord, now that you're hand of the king? Shay asked him as he cupped the warm, sweet flesh. Something Cersei will never expect, Tyrion murmured softly against her slender neck. I'll do justice. And I think what he's talking about right there is what he's going to do to Janice Slint. Mm-hmm. What he's going to do to Janice Slint. Because I'm sorry, that was one of the best things he could have done for himself, which was what he did to Janice. The thing about that, though, is that when Tyrion says he's going to do justice, he's also what what he's not saying, though, is that he's also doing justice that also serves him. Like Janice was someone that needed to get rid of. But at the same time, is Tyrion really doing justice? Because he's still propping up this this Lannister regime. He's still he's still like uh, doing his best to keep Joffrey as the head, even though he knows that Joffrey is a terrible person. To me, justice would be working against his family, but Tyrion's not at that stage yet. He's mm-hmm. going to come to it eventually, but he's not He's not yet. He still wants to be so accepted by this family that he's going to still look the other way on yeah. things, even though he knows the truth about who Joffrey is and what Joffrey is. Yeah, right now he thinks that saving house lannister keeping house lannister in power is like his survival that's the best way for him to survive but he will come to find out that house lannister is actually his enemy yeah he's he's just he wants so much tywin's approval and it's like he still hasn't got it it's like dude it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter how good you are you could be the best of the best of the best and get everything right and tywin and cersei are still going to hate you yeah i was gonna say because he wants cersei's like he will never admit it but he wants cersei's approval too he -hmm. wants to be needed and he wants to be loved by his father and his sister and he doesn't get that but he will get it from other places and people as the story goes on. But that was uh, Tyrion one of a clash of Kings. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? 
that we missed? Uh, just let me peruse my notes real quick. No, I think I think we covered everything. Uh, just just the whole going back to that Varus riddle, like again, the whole contracts written ink and others in blood, and just that fourth that I just I don't know. I gush I gush over Varus. He's one of my favorite characters in this whole story. <laughs> I like Varus and hate him at the same time. Like I love. He's I have such a, a good villain. He's he so slimy. Really is. He really is. He's really well written. Um. I think this would not be the same story without Varys, uh, but I definitely think he has ulterior motives. And I really wish that that is one storyline that I wish the show didn't change. Like, I really wish the show included Aegon because yeah. with the inclusion of Aegon, a lot more of the politics of this story are a lot more understandable. So when we see, like, in season eight, when we see Daenerys, like, going to war with Cersei and Daenerys, like, burning King's Landing, like, there's a whole other person that is, yeah, like, there's, there's Aegon. And if you think that Daenerys, like, I, I definitely think that Aegon is going to get Viserion. I think Aegon is going to have Viserion. The I think gold- he might have the golden dragon, the golden company, and the smallest dragon. And I, there is a, uh, there is a scene in winds of winter. Um, and it's Tyrion. I think Tyrion it's, uh, I did this chapter with Aziz and we talked about it. Um, Aziz from history and what Aziz and Ashea from history and of Westeros. Um, I did one of their Valar Reredis uh, Winds of Winter chapters and it was a Tyrion chapter and like there's a lot of symbolism with like blood on the dragon on the Sivas piece and um, I really think that Aegon might end up with Viserion and I think that another reason he might end up with Viserion is because Viserion is the the golden dragon and then um, there's like a little parallel between Aegon the second and Rhaenyra and Danny and Aegon. And we know that Aegon the second had a uh, Sunfire, the golden, oh. the golden dragon. I, I note that sh- shamelessly plugging my essay, Fagon, <laughs> a parallel kings, princes, and pretenders. And I know <laughs> I note the uh, the idea, the idea that uh, and there is also the theory that Fagon's death is he might be eaten by one of Danny's dragons, and that would make it an inverse. Uh, that would make it an inverse of Aegon the Second and Rhaenyra. Yeah, that would be actually that would be dope. <laughs> like that could, would be could, that'd be pretty dope. I could talk hours about Fagon. <laughs> yeah, I he's a, I I don't know why the show excluded him, but oh my god, like some of my favorite chapters um, from Dance. is Tyrion on the pole boat going down the ruin with like the shady with the shady bunch like that is with Uh, Aegon and Septa Lenore and Duck I like that's some of my favorite chapters like and like they just did some like real fast forward where Tyrion is just going through Valyria with Jorah and they added the stone men or the gray scale stone I, I I didn't like it but yeah. At least we got the books. Uh, I guess one thing I do want to know is when we were noting that 
the caches of, of wildfire. Like, okay, I hate it season eight. I don't think that Danny's going to burn King's Landing, at least not intentionally. Yeah. Now, I had mentioned how like optics are everything. Mm-hmm. There is a chance that if Danny burns King's Landing, it's probably going to be accidentally because of these caches of wildfire that are stored underneath it. Yep. Like, I could she's totally. Not going to... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm saying she's not going to intend to do it, but since optics are everything, what's going to happen is people are going to see, even though she didn't mean to do it, people are going to see the wildfire go up and they're going to be like, okay, well, how did this happen? Well, there's that dra- dragon lady burning and yeah. now this now this fire happened. Well, of course, they're going to like, people are going to make that one-in-one connection. Like, oh, she must have done it because optics are everything. The eyes on the ground are only going to see Danny flying with her dragons and then fire bursting everywhere. It doesn't have to be intentional for people to see her as the bad queen. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, there, there goes that father. That she's her father's daughter. Then this proves it right there. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I feel like they did hint to that because we did see some um, caches of wildfire blowing up in season eight like as she was burning the city i feel like she might burn the red keep and there might be a chain reaction from there like i could totally see her burning the red keep but for her to like flawlessly execute this battle plan like she's destroyed euron's fleet she's destroyed the golden company like they've they're ringing the surrender bells and for her to just be like you know what i'm just gonna burn all these women and children (laughs) right now Three ways, three, three ways I see it going up either accidentally by Danny, purposely by Tyrion, because he knows about it and he hates the people of King's Landing now and he has that whole moment of, I wish I had enough poison to kill a lot of you. Yeah. Or John Con. The bells are going to ring and John Con's grayscale brain is going to go out of whack. Because I do think that season eight, probably the whole bells thing, it was, was probably a merging of Danny and John Con stories. Mm-hmm. So John Con and John Con has he's lamented the fact that he never used scorched earth tactics the way Tywin did. So I could him purposely burning King's, King's Landing. Yeah, but that will also just be like throwing a whole wrench into Fagon's plans. Yeah, because they'll blame Fagon if his person does it. It'll yep. fall in Fagon's lap. But I want to thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed this. And um, anyone that would like to come on Obsidian Nights, just hit me up at the at Obsidian Nights podcast at gmail.com or contact at Nimshadow on Twitter or Instagram. And as always, I will see you next week. Bye. And don't forget to check out Tim. Yes, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at The Gray Waste. Uh, if you want to read my essays, Fagon, A Parallel of King's Princes Pretenders is my pin tweet. And also uh, check out, come Sundays night, watch Dire Wolf City. And and if you want to hear more from me, then check out the stream I did with uh, David Lightbringer, Lucifer Means Lightbringer, The Secret of the Winterfell Crips. Awesome. And I'll try to link all that below in the episode description. And you guys have a good week. Bye.